Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. My name is Rob. I'm a tour guide and the founder of Trip Hacks DC Tours. Normally on this podcast, I invite a special guest to share their expert knowledge on a topic to help you make the best of your trip to Washington, D.C. This is going to be my second solo episode of the year. I don't have a guest, and I don't have any tips or travel hacks. I really hoped I wouldn't have to make this episode. I really hoped that by July, we would have some serious progress against COVID, like so many other countries around the world have done, and we'd be back to at least some summer business. Unfortunately, that just hasn't happened. So, that means I need to make some changes. Changes to Trip Hacks DC Tours, the Trip Hacks DC YouTube channel, and even this podcast. In this episode, I'm going to take you behind the scenes of what things have been like in DC this year. And specifically, what things have been like to own a tour company in DC in 2020. Let's start with the future of this podcast, since if you're listening right now, it's the one that you probably care about. Then we'll go in to cover the other topics afterwards. If you like the podcast, I'm afraid to tell you that this is going to be the last episode for a while. One of the main reasons why I started the podcast two years ago was to invite guests to share their expertise about Washington, D.C. Expertise on topics that I don't personally know a lot about. For example, the episode that I did about the weather is one of my personal favorites. I invited a very respected meteorologist, Jason Samenow, from the Capital Weather Gang in the Washington Post. Now, I care about the weather as a tour guide. Weather is a huge part of the business. Needless to say, better weather means better business. So I try to keep an eye on it. And I've been reading Jason's stuff in the Capital Weather Gang for years. So to be able to have him come on the podcast and talk about the weather phenomenon in all four seasons here in Washington, D.C., was really a pleasure and something that I'm glad I was able to share with you. I'm also quite proud of the restaurants episode I did with Jessica Sidman. Jessica is a food writer at Washingtonian Magazine and one of the people who helps put together the Washingtonian's 100 Very Best Restaurants Guide. Now, the thing about restaurants is that they're expensive, and if I ate at them all the time, I'd go broke. So one of the cool things about having a food writer on the podcast is that she doesn't have to go spend all her money at those restaurants because the magazine that she works for does. So I think she told me in that episode that she eats at over 100 restaurants every single year in preparation of putting together that guide. And that's just not something that I could personally ever hope to achieve. Now, I could tell you about all my personal favorite restaurants in D.C. I could tell you about all the restaurants in my own neighborhood. But if you wanted to branch out, I'm just not the right person. So that's another example of an episode that I'm really glad that I did. Now, because this podcast typically has a guest, it means that podcast episodes take more time and effort to produce than YouTube videos. I need to recruit guests, schedule them, record the episode, edit it, and post it. Guest-based podcasts are usually recorded at least a few weeks before when you hear them. And that's not just true of this podcast, it's true of all the guest-based podcasts that you probably listen to, which is normally fine, and you barely notice. But in 2020, this has proven to be kind of a problem, because listening to a podcast that was recorded a month ago can already feel completely out of date by the time that it drops. And this is even more of a challenge for the Trip Hacks DC podcast, because our tourism industry has distinct slow and busy periods. So what I do is usually try to record a bunch of podcasts in January and February to dole them out during the upcoming tour season, 
which is exactly what I did this year. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to scrap several of them because they just don't make sense to post anymore. For example, I did an episode about hotels and hotel tips with Chris Rainey from Yellow Productions. If you watch travel videos on YouTube, then you probably know Chris, the guy with the bright yellow t-shirts and the traveling stuffed panda. The thing that people forget about hotels is that people don't stay in hotels in the city where they live. So I can count the number of hotels in Washington, D.C. where I've stayed on one hand. So it's really tough for me to give you advice about the best places to stay. Now, I can tell you about whether the hotel has a good reputation. I can tell you about whether the area it's in is good. I can tell you about whether the rates seem good or bad for a given you know, time period. Now, someone like Chris is great because he's stayed in way more hotels in Washington, D.C. than I have and probably ever will. Another episode I recorded back in February was with Shane Whaley from the Tourpreneur podcast, and it was all about the tours that you can sign up for when you visit. I recorded an episode about women's history sites in D.C. that was going to go up in August on the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. But given that we talked about all these cool historic sites that you probably won't be able to visit in August, that doesn't make much sense anymore either. I was really happy with all these episodes, and anyone who's ever made a podcast knows how much it hurts to scrap a single episode, let alone three of them. I haven't done a museums episode on this podcast yet, and I really wanted to do one this year too. I even found a great guest, but after a few back and forths, she declined because the higher-ups at the museum where she works weren't keen on promoting museums and museum exhibits with no solid plan that they were going to reopen this year. And after all that, I decided the podcast just needed a break. A break until at least we can start to think and talk about travel again. So after you're finished listening to this episode, I'm going to put the podcast into hibernation. I can't tell you right now when it's going to come back. I really hope it's back later this year. But I also feel like I got burned back in March when we shut down the first time thinking that things would already be back by now. So the Trip Hacks DC podcast isn't going away forever, but it will be back when it's back. If you're already subscribed, please stay subscribed so that when it's back, you won't miss the next episode. Right before COVID hit, I spoke at the PodFest Expo in Orlando and really felt like this could be the breakout year for the Trip Hacks DC podcast. But 2020 decided otherwise, which is really a bummer. Okay, so let's turn now to the Trip Hacks DC YouTube channel. The YouTube channel definitely reaches the broadest audience. In three years, I've published over 125 videos. Sounds kind of crazy to say it out loud. They aren't as in-depth as this podcast, but they cover a wider variety of topics. One of the reasons that the channel has been relatively successful is because YouTube is a search engine. Lots of people find videos because they're doing research to plan out an upcoming trip. Now, I never expect TripHacks DC to be a million-subscriber YouTube channel, nor do I really want the headaches that come along with that. But when you're making videos every single week, continuing to grow your audience is still important. It's something I still care about. In January and February, we're off to a great start. Video views were up about 20% over January and February in 2019, which is great because those are traditionally pretty slow months anyway for people watching travel videos. But then things just absolutely came crashing down in March. The third week in March, while I was distracted with cancellations and issuing refunds, for just about every tour on my books, video views were falling off of a cliff. There were a few days in March when video views were so low that you had to go all the way back to 2017, when the channel had less than 20 videos on it, 
to find comparable days in the stats. So, yeah, I've got to say that it was a punch in the gut. After years of work making videos and slowly growing the channel, it was collapsing in front of my eyes. At the time, I was a member of a few closed Facebook groups for YouTube creators, and I had to leave those groups for my own mental health. For a lot of people, COVID was the best thing that ever happened to their YouTube channel. People were posting in these groups about huge surges. Some people were getting three or four times the views they previously were getting, virtually overnight, without doing anything. I heard an interview on public radio with a YouTube creator who does baking videos. And she was saying that an old video about sourdough starters propelled her channel into the stratosphere in March. On the other hand, there are plenty of stories about businesses that are struggling or that might not make it. And usually, somewhere in those stories is the line, this happened through no fault of their own, which I think is 100% true. But there are also a whole bunch of folks who, more or less, lucked into the biggest business windfall of their lives. So it will be interesting to see if they can sustain it, or whether there's a regression to the mean that brings things back down to earth. The other reason I had to leave those Facebook groups was because, at the beginning, I was posting about my startling view collapse and just trying to figure out what the heck was going on. And a lot of the responses were along the lines of, this isn't possible. Travel videos should be booming right now. Since people can't get out there and see the sites, YouTube is the best way that they can experience them. I get the theory behind that. But stats don't lie. That logic may be true for some of the travel vlog type channels, You know, the ones that are more for entertainment, watching your favorite travelers on their adventures. Those probably did okay during COVID. But the ones that are more of the travel planning channels, like Trip Hacks DC, absolutely got crushed. And I've since confirmed this with people who run similar channels. So it wasn't just me. Anyway, for my own sanity, I had to take a break from those groups. But it's worth saying that one of the reasons why I joined them in the first place is to keep up with YouTube best practices. Like it or not, making videos for YouTube is a game. If you watch a lot of YouTube, you'll hear people talk about it all the time. Typically, they'll make some passing comment about doing something to optimize the algorithm. The algorithm, quote-unquote, is important because it dictates how many people get your videos suggested to them as the next video to watch. You know how it goes. You go on to watch some of your favorite channels or you go on to search for something And before you know it, you're down some rabbit hole watching all kinds of videos because they just kept suggesting things that sounded interesting to you. So the algorithm matters. It determines how high up the search page your video is when people search for something. It's important. Now, for some people, they take this to the absolute extreme. For example, have you noticed how many YouTube videos are 10 minutes and a few seconds long? That's because at some point in recent past, word got out that the algorithm really likes videos that are over 10 minutes long. Or another example, have you noticed any YouTube creators that you like won't say the words coronavirus or COVID-19 in their videos? Because at the beginning of the pandemic, the belief was that YouTube would penalize any video with those words in them. Not just in the title, not just in the description, but even if you spoke the words in your video. This was the rumor that was going around. So you have all these videos out there where people are awkwardly referring to the illness, or the situation, or some other innuendo. I don't take things to that extreme. Because at the end of the day, the algorithm isn't actually that complicated. If you make good videos that people actually enjoy, and most importantly, 
watch all the way through, then you'll do okay. That's why I've never been into the whole 10 minutes or more thing. I'm going to make videos as long as they need to be. Sometimes that might be more than 10 minutes, like the video I recently did about what Washington, D.C. is like right now. That one wound up being 19 minutes long. But I respect people's time too much to fill up my videos with fluff, because at the moment, it's the thing to do. And for the most part, Trip Hacks DC videos have a good retention, which means that people don't abandon them early because they get bored or lose interest. YouTube videos are interesting because unlike a TV show or even a podcast where people sit down and typically commit to the whole thing before they press play, YouTube videos are something you often watch on a whim. And so it's very easy to abandon them if you get bored. And I do it all the time myself. Another thing I've tried to do is to be consistent, which has meant a new video every Sunday, or at least almost every Sunday. When COVID hit, it meant scrapping my content calendar and recording videos week by week, depending on what was going on in the world. Some people have asked me, Rob, why not pivot to history videos? In theory, history videos are a good complement to Trip Hacks DC, as there's a ton of history in DC, and Trip Hacks DC tours are heavy on history. I tried a few history videos, and they just didn't click. If you don't remember them, it's because you probably didn't watch them. Very few people did. And going back to the algorithm, if you make videos and people don't watch them, that's a problem, and it can permanently harm your channel if you aren't careful. Now, if I wanted to permanently pivot Trip Hacks DC to be a history channel, I might muscle through it and say, hey, whatever happens now, I'll make up for it later. But the truth is, history videos are a lot of work, and my heart just isn't into history videos. So for all those reasons, it's just not worth pivoting to those as filler until I can make more reliable travel tips videos again. So here's what I decided. Starting in July, I'm going to reduce the frequency of videos from once a week to probably once every other week. Unlike the podcast, there will still be new videos on a consistent basis. But this will give me a chance to slow down and not have to worry about how I'm going to make 20 more videos this year on a limited number of topics with a ton still unknown. I think there will be some video opportunities as the year progresses. Once museums announce their plans to reopen, that will be great video fodder. An update video about riding Metro in 2020 is definitely something that some people will want to see. And I've got a few other evergreen videos in the works that I still think make sense to publish this year. So if you like Trip Hacks DC videos, the good news is that they will continue. That leaves Trip Hacks DC tours. 2020 has not been kind to the tour industry. And of all of the Trip Hacks DC assets, the YouTube channel, the podcast, the social media... None of it would exist without TripHacks DC Tours. Yes, the company does have several different revenue streams, but in 2019, tours made up 87% of all TripHacks DC revenue, which means that everything else, ad revenue from those YouTube videos, affiliate commissions from the website, souvenir t-shirts, and any other miscellaneous income that comes in, made up just 13% combined. 2020 was going to be the breakout year for Trip Hacks DC Tours. My goal on January 1st was to sell 1,000 tickets to the Monumental Trivia Tour. And things were off to a pretty great start. January and February are always pretty dead as far as tours go. But by the day we got shut down, March 12th, tour revenue was already up 60% compared to the same period in 2019. Pretty good. And bookings were coming in nice and steady for the spring, so things were looking good. 
But of course, we had to shut down on March 12th. So March tour revenue wound up being down 50%. April was down 100%. May was down 100%. And June is down 100%. Despite the fact that we technically reopened on June 10th. The first six months of 2020 is down 88% compared to the first six months of 2019. Now, normally a business that's down 20% needs to make some serious changes if it's going to survive. A business that's down 50% needs to pack it up and close shop. But one that's down 88%? Functionally, Triphex DC Tours is out of business. The only thing that's keeping it alive is the fact that the business model is simple and overhead costs are relatively low. We don't have a retail space like some tour companies do. Commercial rent in D.C. is not cheap, and having to pay rent with no money coming in the door will quickly destroy a business. We don't have vehicles like some tour companies do. We don't have insurance on those vehicles. We don't have other costs like that that other companies do, and that all helps keep our costs down. I am still paying for regular insurance, web hosting, podcast hosting, and a handful of other services that I need to keep the company up and running. But anything that is not essential has been cut from the budget at this point. The other thing that has been a small help is the PPP. PPP is the part of the CARES Act that Congress passed to try to help small businesses through COVID. You might have heard about it in the news. At the beginning, it was a giant mess with huge companies like Shake Shack and the LA Lakers getting money while all the mom and pops of the world got nothing. There was a second round And once those big companies were more or less shamed out of going after the money, the PPP seemed to work mostly as intended. But the thing is, the PPP was never meant to compensate for business losses. I mean, it's right there in the name, Paycheck Protection Program. It was designed to prevent companies from laying off their employees, literally protecting their paychecks. So even though I was able to pay my tour guides for April and May with that money, The amount of money that I got from the PPP was only a fraction of what I would have earned during that period if we had been running tours. Like I said, Tripex DC Tours technically reopened on June 10th. A few days before that, I made an announcement on social media, and there were a lot of people who wrote in to congratulate us on reopening. But the thing is, reopening is meaningless if there aren't any customers. And so far, there aren't any customers. I can't remember who said it, but... When it comes to reopening, they said that governments don't decide when we reopen. Customers decide when we reopen. That definitely rings true for me. By my observation, there are almost no tourists in D.C. right now. I went out on the National Mall on June 19th and saw probably the smallest crowds I've ever seen out there in my life. I'm not exaggerating. It was almost empty on a beautiful summer day. Which makes sense when you think about it, because none of the tourist sites are open, sans for the monuments and memorials, until the museums, the Capitol Visitor Center, the National Archives, and all of the big sites reopen, we're just not going to have many tourists here. So what that means is that if Tripex DC is going to sell tours this summer, we're going to have to sell tours to locals. If you're a local and you're a fan of the podcast, please consider coming on a tour. They're contactless. They're outdoors. They're one of the safest activities you can do right now. And with almost no other entertainment options, it's fun. The problem is that I've gotten quite good at selling tours to visitors, but I've never mastered selling them to locals. It's hard to sell tours to locals. Visitors love touring the monuments with me, because when you're here for a limited amount of time, it's the perfect way to experience them. 
and get the most out of the few hours that we spend at them. But when you live here and you can theoretically see them at any time, it's a harder sell. Back in March, a lot of people in the tourism industry made very bold claims about how they expected there to be tremendous pent-up demand by the start of the summer tourist season. Even to this day, I keep hearing honestly hard-to-believe stories about how tourism is back in some places. But here in D.C., we have nothing of the sort. It's been a complete collapse in demand. Now, I normally don't mention the fact that I have a degree in economics, but this is really starting to get on my nerves. People are getting quite sloppy with their use of the term pent-up demand. Pent-up demand means that there's more demand for something than the market can produce. Let me give you an example. Imagine, for some reason, there's a worldwide shortage of iPhone components, and Apple can't make any new phones. People still want to buy iPhones, but because of a material disruption, the demand can't be met. So for a few months, nobody can buy a new iPhone, but eventually they sort out the issue and Apple stores are fully stocked again. At the end of the year, Apple could very well wind up selling the same number of iPhones as they would have without the disruption, because the demand for those phones never went away. It was pent up. Now, let me explain why this doesn't work for service industries. Let's take haircuts, because this is something that's been in the news a lot lately, And coincidentally, because it's often the example used in college economics textbooks as a proxy for the service industry. Let's say that the average person gets their hair cut once per month. And now let's say that their barbershop closes down for three months because of COVID. When the barbershop reopens, there's going to be a rush of customers who want and need a haircut. An observer standing outside the shop might look in and say, wow, this barbershop is crushing it. There was obviously a ton of pent-up demand. But take a step back and think about this for a second. If haircuts cost $25, then a customer who goes once a month would have spent $100 on four haircuts during this period. Instead, they grow out their hair during the lockdown or awkwardly try to cut it themselves. And once they go back to the barbershop, they spend $25. They are not going to get three extra haircuts to make up for the missed ones. The barbershop is never going to get that business back. It's lost forever. Or take another example, restaurants and bars. There's a restaurant and bar near my home that has a pretty cool membership club. I happen to be a member. I pay a yearly membership fee and get discounts on food and beers throughout the year. I used to like to go to this particular bar about once a week, typically on Sunday. During COVID, they had to close down just like everybody else, which means that I haven't had a beer at the bar in months. Now, when they do reopen, it's going to be on a staggered basis. First the patio, then half of the indoor tables, then the rest of the tables, and then finally, the actual bar. The patio is open right now, and every time I walk past, every table has someone sitting at it. Based on that alone, someone might look at it and say, see, look at all this pent-up demand. But that's not really right, because the bar is operating at such a limited capacity. If COVID had never struck in 2020, that patio would probably be twice as busy as it currently is, plus all the people on the inside. And even once they do get back to full capacity, It's not like I'm going to go back and order one extra beer for every week that I missed one during the lockdown. Most customers, including me, will just resume whatever schedule they had before. So what the heck does this have to do with tourism or with Tripax DC? I think the best way I heard this described was in an interview with Carol Ream of the U.S. Travel Association. She said that there is a ton of pent-up emotion right now. I like that phrase because I think it's accurate. Pent-up emotion means that people desperately want to travel. I would put myself in this category. I would love to hop on a plane and fly to Japan or France 
or even get on a train and go to New York City for the weekend. But I'm not going to. Definitely not this summer, and honestly, probably not at all in 2020. My desire is there. My emotion is there. But my actual demand? No, it's not there. When cancellations started coming in during March, one of the first strategies that this industry used was to ask people to reschedule rather than cancel. And a lot of the customers who had booked TripHax DC tours in March and April told me that they would try to make it back later in the year. Whether that holds true or not, it's impossible to know at this point. But what I'm getting at is, delaying a trip sounds good in theory, but it's ultimately just kicking the can down the road. If I cancel my vacation in 2020 and reschedule for the same destination in 2021, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to go on double the vacations next year, right? Lots of people just can't swing that, either financially or because they don't have the vacation days to spare. So maybe someone who doesn't get to come to D.C. this year comes next year instead. Great, right? But the person who is going to go to New York City this year and then come to D.C. in 2021, they wind up just delaying it and going only to New York City next year and then skipping us entirely. So just like the barber, every month that we're not operating is a month of business that we will probably never get back. It's a rough situation to be in. So with that said, I'm going to end it here. If you made it this far then I want to say thank you for tuning in to this podcast. I don't know when it will be back, but I look forward to returning to your ears when it is. And if you made it this far, it means that you must like DC. So if you haven't done this already, it would mean a lot to me if you could take just a few moments to leave a rating and review in the podcast app that you're listening to this episode on right now. And make sure you're subscribed to the DC YouTube channel and follow along on social media so that you don't miss anything in the meantime. Thanks again, and stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.